This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Happy Friday, everybody. We are just two days away from Buffalo's Week 3 matchup with the Washington Commanders on the road. Maddie and I will get you set for all of that. Chris Brown, Maddie Glad with you on a Friday edition of One Bills Live, which means the OBL Fan Friday mailbag is open for you to submit any question on the Bills or the NFL, the league at large. Fire away. We're here to answer those. And, uh, Maddie, I, f- I totally forgot to ask you yesterday when uh, you were in here about your wedding that you attended last weekend um, out of town, You're, like way out of town. It wasn't like down the yeah, road or even in pretty out of town. your hometown of Chicago. It was even further away than that. Yeah, I got to go to Kansas City for a friend's wedding, one of my best friends from college. So it was fun to see some college friends. I don't get back to Missouri too often because – it's not the easiest place to fly into right. from Buffalo, so you're always going through another airport, sometimes even two. Um, so don't get back there too much, but it's always great to see people from the college days. Yeah, and for those that don't know, Maddie is a University of Missouri alum. How much were people talking about that 61-yard field goal at the gun <laughs> for Missouri to win last week? That's crazy. There was some talk about it. People love their Mizzou Tigers there, and... Um, have so many people that were at the wedding that were Mizzou grads, so it was definitely the talk of the town at the wedding. People love watching that team play at a high level, and, and they've been doing better over the last couple of seasons. I know it's been tough, but I think a lot of people have hope for that team that this year. That kick was like an SEC record, 61 mm-hmm. yards, and his last play of the game. It was unbelievable. Um, and uh, in addition to that, what was I going to say? Oh, the kicker. So I was talking – I was talking on the phone to my son because he's. I was telling him, did you see that kick? And he said, oh, yeah, that kid played against us last year and bombed like five field goals against Georgia. And I guess he's a, he's a big kid. He's like Sebastian Janikowski size. He's, mm-hmm. not, he's not a lightweight at no. all. Mm-mm. So he's got a leg on him. 61 yards, though. I mean, I don't care that it's September and it's still warm out. That is a long way for a college kicker. And what a way to win the game. That guy was a hero. In yeah. Columbia that yeah. weekend, for sure. Yeah, people are like, oh, are they going to tear down the goalposts? Because when I was in school, we upset Oklahoma. I think it was in uh, 2010 or 2011. We were ranked maybe top 10. Oklahoma was maybe ranked one or two at the mm-hmm. time. And we upset them on college game day. And we tore, that, tore down the goalposts, and we dragged them a mile into downtown to this bar called Harpo's. <laughs> and they brought out a saw, and they sawed up the goalposts, oh, and so they handed it out to people in the crowd. <laughs> so people from you know my generation who went to school around that time, anytime there's a big win, people are like, oh, they tearing down the goalposts. That doesn't sound all that different from 1988 here when they beat the Jets on the field goal block game to win 9-6, and they took the goalposts and carried them up and out over the side of the stadium. I don't know. I still don't know how the heck they did that. And so a lot of people, some younger fans may not realize this. So the Bills are hosting the Raiders for the AFC title game in 90, and (laughs) to prevent such an occurrence from happening again, they literally put grease on the goalposts so people couldn't climb them put their weight on it and, you know, rip it down or hang on it. Mm-hmm. They greased the goalposts. <laughs> You're not taking them this time. <laughs> Mr. Wilson back then was like, yeah, I don't want to have to replace those again, yeah. if at all possible. Those cost a little bit of money. They do. Uh, but we are ready for week three. Bill's commanders on the road 
And I don't know. Have you checked the weather lately? I know it's supposed to pour there tomorrow. But the last weather report I yeah, looked at I was going to say, said, what's, what's a weather report? I was listening to WGR earlier today when Sean went on and, and gave his update about injuries. And Sean, at the end of his segment, was asking Sal, hey, give me, give me, a, give me a hammer report. What's, what's the latest <laughs> on the weather? And Sal was like, stick around for a couple minutes. He's going to be on to do a weather report. But I couldn't stick around, so I didn't get to hear his weather report. Um, but I'm going to put Landover, Maryland see. in and see what I get because that is where the stadium is located. So at this point in time, let me see. I got a slow. Computer. We're searching it for you guys, so yeah. you can get the most up-to-date I'll, weather report. I got a weather report via Brownie, the weatherman. I got a weather report from my from a Washington reporter I know down there. Um, and they said and that the, the drainage post, is pretty good, right? The field is the field had a new drainage system put in two years ago, and it's excellent in comparison to what. It used to be. That's good news. So it's not raining there now, so that's good. Mostly cloudy, 72 today. The rain is supposed to start this evening, go into the overnight, and then I know Saturday it's supposed to rain all day long. <laughs> so that is a given. So rain overnight, all day Saturday. Now let me see what it's it just says when for is Sunday. it going to stop? Well, yeah, that's the key. So here is the weather forecast for Friday night, showers this evening, steady rain overnight. And then we go to Saturday, rain all day. Oh, Sunday's got rain now. Hold on. Sunday, a steady rain in the morning. Showers continuing in the afternoon, Mm. high of 67. Ooh, chance of rain, 70%. Yeah, we're going to be wet. We're going to be wet on Sunday. Okay, I thought that the rain was supposed to taper off and right, right. almost stop by kickoff. Not looking like that now. Okay. The one good thing was they said the weather in Landover has been dry for the last several weeks, so at least you have ground that can soak up some of it. But if it's going to rain for 36 straight hours, that could get sloppy. It could get a little soppy out there. Soppy and you wonder and how much that impacts the game plan. Mm-hmm. Um, Good thing the Bills are coming off of a game where they ran the ball well. Well, right. A yes, bit that's of time on one. task there. I know. Sure I know the Commanders got one heck of a defensive line, but uh, to have that in your backpack there from the game before. Yeah, they got to make sure they're bringing their longer cleats mm-hmm. for sure. Got to bring the studs with you. Uh, speaking of uh, Washington reports. ESPN reporter for the Washington Commanders, John Kime, is reporting that tight end Logan Thomas has been declared out for Washington for Sunday's game. He was in the concussion protocol. He caught a touchdown pass and got labeled in the end zone last week um, by a Denver defender who's probably going to get fined for that hit. He's been in the concussion protocol all week. He was working on the side yesterday and today at practice for Washington but apparently he's been ruled out for Sunday's game already. Meanwhile, Washington's leading tackler, Cameron Curl, their safety, and wide receiver Curtis Samuel both did not practice Mm. due to illness today. It's only illness. They're going to be listed as questionable. So we'll get the full Washington injury report uh, later today in terms of final status. Deron Payne was on that injury report, their starting defensive tackle. He was limited in practice yesterday with an ankle injury after not practicing on Wednesday. 
he is a major player, so his availability is going to be very noteworthy. We mentioned Logan Thomas not going to play. Curtis Samuel did practice Wednesday and Thursday. He came off of Sunday's game with a hip injury. Now he's got an illness and is expected to be listed as questionable. Everybody else looks to be in pretty good shape for Washington. Quan Martin, their backup corner, had a concussion, but it looks like he was a full participant yesterday. We'll have to see what his final status is. And then backup center, or no, starting center, Nick Gates. Knee injury, but he was a full participant in practice. Running back Brian Robinson, hip injury, but a full participant in practice all week. So aside from Logan Thomas, their starting tight end, they look to be in, in fairly decent shape. Good news for the Bills, everybody is participating in some capacity today who was on the injury report. So Dawson Knox back and participating for the first time this week, coming off a back injury that held him out on Wednesday and on Thursday. And then Leonard Floyd back on the practice field. That's good news, along with Micah Hyde in a limited capacity yesterday. We'll see if they're still limited today or if they do more today in the practice setting. And James Cook back Mm -hmm. after baby number two. (laughs) He had a girl, so he's set. He's got the boy, he's got the girl. He's got a three-year-old son, I know. And then just had a baby girl yesterday. That's why he missed practice yesterday. So congrats to him and the Cook clan, which got one, increased their population by one. So uh, good for them. By all indications, everything went well, so that's good. So... uh, Congrats to the Cook family on another edition. That's great. Yeah. Maybe he'll play some inspired football on Sunday. I would love to see it. Playing for the it. new baby girl. Had a great game you didn't last hear week. any names, did you? I didn't I get didn't, a, I didn't hear a name yet. I didn't yet. get a name either. So we'll wait on that. Uh, maybe he has such a great game that he's in the post game and we can ask him uh, on Sunday afternoon. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of the practice updates and practice updates brought to you by LECOM, Lake Erie College of osteopathic medicine and um i you know i i feel pretty good about those guys suiting up on sunday but i guess i guess we won't know until later and knowing that dawson missed both practices wednesday and thursday if he's limited today i'm just guessing because i'm not on the medical staff but i'm guessing probably questionable right And I think they're going to need him. Like, he's going to be pretty important. Uh, I was talking about this with the guys on the morning show. Like, if if for some reason Dawson can't go, how do they handle some of that two tight end stuff that you know they're probably going to want to run? I wouldn't be surprised if it's David Edwards as a sixth offensive lineman slash blocking tight end. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they go that route. Because we saw some of that last week in the goal line situations. They had David Edwards on the left mm-hmm. at the left tackle position. And they flipped Dion to the other side, yeah. and he was lining up yeah. next to Spencer, which I thought was really interesting. So we'll see if they choose to go that route. Maybe they elevate rookie Joel Wilson from the practice squad mm-hmm. just to be the third tight end. Because um, they ran some 13 personnel last they week, too. We had Quentin times. Morris, Dawson Knox, and Dalton Kincaid out there last week, and, and it worked pretty well for them. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Hopefully Dawson is up and available for Sunday's game. As we said earlier, Friday means it's the OBL Fan Friday mailbag. Any question you got on the Bills or the NFL or the Washington Commanders, 
lay them on us. We'll do our best to answer them for you. Uh, 803-0550, the number to get on board, 1-888-550-2550. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of fans, at least the ones that I've come across this week, Maddie, the, the thing they're asking about is, who is this Sam Howell guy? <laughs> who, who is this guy? And, yeah, he's a first-year starter, so I understand why he's not a household name. But he's a pretty good quarterback, and we'll talk to Greg Cosell in the second hour of the show about him, senior producer from NFL Films, as well as uh, co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. I know he's done a lot of film work on Sam Howell, so I'll, I'll, we'll be interested to get his take on the first-year starter at quarterback, who I think has opened some eyes and surprised some people, not only with good decision-making, but with his aggressiveness in throwing downfield. But when you have those three receivers, who I know you and I will be talking about a little bit later on in the show, it shouldn't be surprising that um, – He's done as well as he has. I, I think what killed him, Maddie, was if you remember in his college days at North Carolina, he had a monster junior year. And people are like, oh boy, keep an eye out for Sam Howell. He's going to be one of the top five quarterbacks in the draft. And then senior year, he lost all his receiving talent. Mm -hmm. Like Deami Brown, who's now his teammate again in Washington. He's one of the reserve receivers. He's probably like their receiver four. He had already graduated along with a good tight end that he had down there. So he lost like, and they lost Michael Carter who got drafted by the jets, their third down back. So he lost all this talent and Javante Williams. Now that I think about it. So all those guys left before Sam Howell's senior year at North Carolina and his stats went down and he fell off the radar. So I was just like, wow, he went from being like a potential first, second round prospect to a fifth round pick. Um, just because he had a down senior season. Looks like Washington's the team that's got the last laugh. I know. I mean, what he's done so far for that team and in the few starts that he's made, he looks like a confident quarterback. And if you go back and look at those college statistics, his last year, not as good, but he still had to put, to, put together a productive season. Um, he had 11 rushing touchdowns in 2021, oh, which I scoop. think is crazy. Um, I think that tells you a lot about the type of quarterback that he can be when he's outside of the pocket and maybe when he doesn't have some of those answers downfield. But we've seen him connect on, on several downfield passes, especially last game against the Broncos, putting some drives together at the end of the game to get them back into the game. They were down 21-3 to at one point, and I, I think that downfield passing helped a lot, along with Brian Robinson started to get going late in that game against the Broncos last week, especially if it's going to be a wet game on Sunday, you would expect to see a lot of Brian Robinson out of the commanders. Yeah, because you worry about, you know, a wet ball. Sometimes when a, when a football gets wet, it gets heavy. And so passes fall short of the mark because the tip, the nose of the ball starts to dive on quarterbacks and passes end up winding up short. So then you've got more incompletions than completions. It's harder to move the sticks. And then sometimes some offensive coordinators say, by the hell with it, let's just run the, ball, run the ball more than we planned. And sometimes that happens. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm very interested to see just how bad the weather is on Sunday now that we know there's a 70% chance of rain. But let's dive into that Friday fan mailbag here. And question one comes from Nick who says, do you expect Washington to drop into a deep coverage or after seeing Josh last week, will they play tight and try to take away the underneath passes? Nick, I'm telling you right now, every team under the sun is terrified of Josh beating them over the top with his arm. 
So they're going to play top-down defense and say, if you're going to beat us, you're going to do it with 11- and 12-play scoring drives, not a two- or a three-play scoring drive because we gave up a 40-yard bomb for a touchdown. So I would anticipate Washington to take that approach. It's clear just by all of the quotes you see from Ron Rivera and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio down there in Washington that they are hyper-aware of Josh's arm strength and are going to take a similar approach to what we saw the Jets do in week one and what we saw Las Vegas do in week two. They're going to try to keep everything in front of them and say, look, you want to take the short stuff, that's fine. We're going to hope you can't be efficient enough to get 11 or 12 good plays in a row. And I thought the Bills were great at not committing too many pre-snap penalties, unforced errors, and things like that. Here's the one caveat, though, Maddie. This defensive line for Washington is so good that sometimes they force opposing offensive mm-hmm. lines to hold them, you know, grab them, commit holding penalties, illegal hands to the face, whatever you want to call it, even false starts for guys like Chase Young and Montez Sweat who get off the ball in a hurry. So got to stay out of unforced penalties, and then they got to be efficient on offense. But Washington is betting that you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, last week, uh, Josh was incredible when it came to throws under 10 yards. He averaged 4.9 air yards per attempt on 37 passes, and he completed 26 of 28 passes under Mm -hmm. 10 yards. So it's been efficient for the Bills so far. I would look to see it be efficient again in week three if they're going to keep everything, if they're going to try and take away that deep ball from Josh and and make the Bills put together those 11, 12 play drives where they really have to grind it out. I mean, right now, um, Josh has an 88% completion percentage on passes that are under 10 yards, which is uh, the best in the NFL. So he's been so far wheeling and dealing from from that standpoint. And if they've been if they've been able to do it in the first two weeks, you would expect them to have some success too um, with attempts that are under 10 yards. And then you think about the game plan that this team might have to play if it is rainy conditions and you talk about the ball kind of diving, um, dipping a little bit when you're trying to throw maybe deeper passes that maybe the game plan anyways is going to be stick to your dink and dunk plays, your guys that are underneath and right in front of you rather than trying to air it out. Well, plus I think you want to help your offensive line too, right? Like you've got a front four here in Washington that can get to the quarterback. 10 sacks, 18 quarterback pressures in two weeks. Uh, That's highly productive. So I I think it would behoove Buffalo's offensive staff to, again, go with a lot of quick throws, get the ball out of Josh's hand quickly, defined reads that are easy for Josh to diagnose, use some motion to help him out and help him declare pre-snap, whether it's man or zone coming at him. And, yeah, use the short passes to stay to get an offensive rhythm. I mean, that worked very well for Josh last week. What was he, 12 for 12 mm-hmm. to start the game because Come not only best. were they high percentage throws, they were getting open quickly. The rush was effectively neutralized. So help your offensive line. Get the ball out of Josh's hand fast. So, yeah, to, it's a long way of answering Nick's question. I don't expect them to cheat up at all defensively and try to take away those short routes. I think they want to keep everything in front of them early and make the Bills prove to them They can be efficient and string together 11 and 12 passes and get points. 
Uh, Bill has the next question. What's the outlook for DeMar Hamlin getting back on the field in a game? You want to take that one, Manny? Yeah, I mean, I think DeMar will get his opportunity uh, sooner than later. It's a numbers game when you look at um, the game day roster, the guys who who are up and the guys who are down. And I think you, you would probably get the same answer out of Sean McDermott. It would depend on what type of team you're playing against. Um, is there going to be a team where, where DeMar's skill set is going to offer something more than somebody else would so they would elevate him? Some games, you know, we've seen the three running backs elevated. Maybe there's going to be a game where there aren't three running backs elevated so then DeMar can be elevated for a game I think it's kind of you play the game of who do you need for each week um, and then that leaves the guys on the roster who aren't elevated for game day yeah and and what DeMar is work, what he's up against is essentially another safety in Cam Lewis who offers more versatility than him because he can play nickel he can play safety he can even play out on the boundary if you need him at corner and then Cam Lewis is also a first-team gunner on cover teams. He lines up opposite Saran Neal. He's essentially Taiwan Jones this year. And DeMar plays gunner too, but he's on the second team. So because he's on second-team gunner and Cam offers more versatility on defense, playing upwards of three different positions, Hamlin ends up being the odd man out when they have to dress 47, 48 guys, mm -hmm. depending on how many offensive linemen they're dressing. So that's kind of where it sits. I think he doesn't get activated on a Sunday until there's an in injury in the DB group, quite frankly. I think that's probably what he's going to have to wait on, unfortunately, for him. Chris in the mailbag asks, what will the Bills need to do to tame the Washington defensive front? Yeah, we kind of talked to Dan Orlovsky about this a little bit, and we'll ask Greg Cosell in the second hour, too. But I think... The formula here is to try to double from the inside out. And not you can't double everybody. We know that. But I think there are going to be times where they're going to have to go max protection a little bit and have seven in to protect because the front is that good. I think you're going to have to use double teams on the interior to keep Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne off of Josh and not – squeeze the pocket down from the middle because that prevents Josh from stepping into throws. So, and when I say double team, I don't mean for the entire play. Off the snap, <clears throat> have two guys getting their shoulder pads on Deron Payne, have two guys getting their shoulder pads on, um, on uh, Jonathan Allen, and then step to the second level. One guy steps to the second mm -hmm. level. you got to combo block them, I think, even if it's just for a second and a half. And that should be enough time if you're calling those short routes to get the ball out effectively. Um, you got to do that. You got to do that against those guys. And then with the guys on the edges, you have to chip. You have mm -hmm. to use a tight end for help or a back for help, yep. kind of like they did last week against Max, Max Crosby. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's it comes – to max protection is what you're going to need to go against a defensive line that the Washington Commanders have. I mean, they had seven sacks last week against the Broncos, 13 quarterback hits, which is a huge number. You have four defensive linemen in that game who had at least five pressures on the quarterback. Um, so you're going to need 
a good game plan going against them because you know they're going to be able to to test the line and Josh at some point during this game. And so I think your answer is you put another tight end, tight end in there. You put another offensive lineman in there. Um, you have some help from your running backs uh, to be able to give Josh the type of protection that he needs um, to get the ball out quick. And I would expect, just like last week with the pressure that Josh will probably face in the pocket, that you are going to see a lot of quick throws. Yeah. It, it just makes too much sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, we're not play-calling gurus, but looking at that front, it just – just kind of makes logical sense. And it's to good that they go had that some practice last week doing this. Absolutely. Too. And when you think about it, they did a lot of that in week one, mm-hmm. too. I mean, let's not forget, yeah, Josh had four turnovers, including three interceptions, but there was a there was a point in the game there, because I remember looking down at the live stats during the game, there was a point where he was like 17 of 21 passing. And it was a lot of short passes yeah. again because that's what the Jets were giving him. And he was efficient. His completion percentage was, was yeah. high coming out of that yeah. game. It, it, just, it was just unfortunate he turned the ball over. Mm-hmm. Three of his incompletions were interceptions, <laughs> throwing it to the wrong team. Um, but, yeah, he was highly – that's why he's leading the league in completion percentage right now at 77%. He was highly efficient in week one, throwing a lot of that short stuff. He was just a little frenetic mm-hmm. with some of his decision-making. So we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I, but I would anticipate the same formula going forward. I think it is a proven winning model, provided you're making good decisions and the passes are accurate and your skill players are executing for you. The skill players executed in exemplary fashion last week. They were open. Yeah, and, and they ran after catch, mm-hmm. too. So even though you had a five-yard completion, you get an extra five, six, seven, eight yards after that, now you're not only in favorable down and distance, you've got a fresh set of downs because yeah. you're past the sticks. So if Josh, I think if Josh continues to trust his skill players, this offense should be able to move the ball down the field, granted not in giant chunks, but in effective stick-moving chunks. And then if you keep doing that, you force the defense – to make a decision, like gonna you got to change your approach here. Yeah. So, are you either going to a bring a safety down in the box to help them stop the run more effectively, or are you going to have DB squat on routes more, and then that can lead to more opportunities down the field, longer passes, bigger plays? But you have to prove you can be efficient, you know, before you do that. So. And then time of possession ends up being in the Bills' favor. I mean, yeah. last week they held on to the ball for 40 minutes compared to the Raiders who held on to the ball for just 19 minutes, almost 20. And so when, when things like that happen, odds are in your favor because you've got the ball longer. Yeah. We are going to step aside here, but the fan mailbag is open, 803-0550, the number to get on board. So feel free to chime in if you've got a question about the Bills or the Washington Commanders or the league at large or, heck, even the weather expected in Landover, Maryland this weekend. We got you covered here on One Bills Live. When we return, though, we are going to take a lunch break. Or No, what do we got? We got Excuse Me, Mr. Tasker. Yeah. Now, Mr. Tasker is not here, so we're going to have to call Excuse an me, audible. Mr. Brown. Yeah, we're going to have to call an audible. We'll explain when we return here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, well, Maddie was at a weekend a wedding last weekend. Steve Tasker is at his son's wedding this weekend. So, excuse me, Mr. Tasker, which usually takes place at this time, is going to have a little bit of a different feel. A little spin. Um, we will still conduct, excuse me, Mr. Tasker, which is brought to you um, 
by Total Sports Enterprises, an official sports memorabilia partner of the Buffalo Bills. But with Steve out this week, I'll be taking over. So uh, we solicited fans to submit their questions or their requests for a story from me. Uh, Winners selected at random will receive a premium mystery box of signed items. This could be a Bruce Smith signed photo or a Stefan Diggs signed jersey or even a signed Wow. Jim Kelly replica helmet. Yeah, yeah it's That's anything cool. under the sun. It's like a total reveal. That's awesome. Um, so rules do apply. So make sure you visit buffalobills.com slash T-S-E Tasker. And this week's winner, the question comes from Jeremy Gullo. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Maybe it's Gullo. And the question is, growing up in downstate New York and being with the Bills for the better part of two decades now, was it hard transitioning into the life of a Bills reporter and fan during a really rough time for the franchise. Well, I can promise you the 17-year drought was not fun, um, watching it wire to wire. But I can tell you that even though I did grow up downstate, I was a baseball fan first and probably a basketball fan second. And then with as successful as the Islanders were when I was a kid, I was probably a hockey fan third. So football was like in fourth place. So I would watch. I hated the Giants. I would watch the Jets, but it was just like, oh, the Jets are on. Let me watch. Mm-hmm. I was a dyed-in-the-wool Yankees fan, hardcore Knicks fan, and I was an Islanders fan growing up. So then coming up here, I, was, I went to college up here at Geneseo, and I was in college all four years the Bills were in the Super Bowl. So That's I was fun. very quickly indoctrinated as to how important – the Bills were to fans in Western New York. And, you know, most of the kids at Geneseo are Rochester or Buffalo area kids. So I was quickly brought up to speed on just how important Bills football was around here. And then after I got out of school and graduated, I was immediately working here in Buffalo and, you know, was covering sports by the mid to late 90s. Then I married a Buffalo girl. Both of my kids are born here. And I've lived here now more of my life in Buffalo than I have on Long Island. So I kind of, I consider myself a Buffalonian, number one. Number two, um, yes, it was tough covering a team that didn't have a lot of success. I think what makes it easy, though, is the how loyal the fan base is. Like, whether this team was 3-13, and 13, like they were in 2001, or whether they were 7-9, and nine, like they seemingly were every year under Dick Duran, the fans still cared. They would, like, I come across fans, they're asking me questions whether the team was lousy, mediocre, or actually had a chance. So that, that's what I think made it easier through all of those lean years. Um, and sometimes when, <laughs> when you're not good or your team is not competitive, all you can do is kind of laugh about it and kind of make light of it. And that's what Bills fans do to get through it when it's not their year or they clearly don't have a team that can compete. And now when they are this good and they are a true contender, it makes it all the more enjoyable. So that's probably how I would describe it. I mean, believe me, there were a lot of Sundays I was just like, oh, God. And back then, I was doing a lot more writing. It's like, how do I write about this? Like, we're trying to, you know, make it as palatable as possible. But yeah, it was, it was fine. I think, it, and I think it's because Bills fans, on the whole, 
are just so resolutely positive, like they always have hope at the beginning of every season. And I think what made it tolerable was we oh, like you always felt like we were all in it together, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it was it was like a fan like Steve says it all the time. Like if you're if you're affiliated with this team and the fans recognize it, you're part of a family. Like you really are here. Um whether you're working for the team, covering the team, uh, or rooting for the team. Like it's all one big family here in Western New York, and I think that's what makes it special. Um but I was indoctrinated very quickly by my wife's family. It's just like Look, you're on board or forget it. If you want to marry into this family, yeah, you right? have no it, choice. There was a little bit Brown. of that. There was a little bit of that. Fan or you're not going to be a part of the family. I'm going to relay one <laughs> one story. So, I am I am dating my future wife. I am you know, we're not engaged, we're not married, none of that. I am I am at the house. This is like shortly after the Super Bowl years ended, and I am being put through the paces of watching some VHS tapes mm. of her family dancing in their driveway in the middle of a snowstorm after they won one of the AFC title games to go to the Super Bowl again. It wasn't the first one. It was either the second or the third one. And they're all out there waving flags, dancing in the driveway. It's snowing. And There's you're like saying, what four, am I getting? What and am I'm I watching this going. Into? I'm like, these people are around the bend. Like, <laughs> what? They're, 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 they're a, they're around the corner and down the hallway here. Like they, this is uh, what is this? Ride but what what I quickly came to realize was that's everybody mm-hmm. here because <laughs> they're that nuts about the bills, and it's great. It's amazing. Um, well, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, it's go bills. Like every day in the fall, winter, and even all year round, which is why I'm fortunate enough to be able to do a show like this mm-hmm. 365 days a year. Because there are people, Maddie out of state or out of town who aren't Bills fans, my mom will even say it. She goes, how do you talk about Bills football for 365 yeah. days a year? I said, because people care enough, because there are people interested in talking mm-hmm. Bills football. When I tell my NFL counterparts who work for other teams that we do a show, you guys do a show yeah. all year. They're like, they're it's like, not seasonal? What? How? <laughs> yeah. How is that possible? That's right. said it used to be three hours. Yeah. And I will say that – down in New York, which I still believe is always going to be a baseball town first, they talk baseball all year round. Now, look, during football season, they'll talk football. They're not nuts down there, but it's it's hot stove league when the season's over. Like when the season ends in October or November, if one of their teams makes the playoffs, they're talking about free agency, hot stove league. Like they talk baseball 365 days a year down there, and, and I did as a kid. Here, it's football, 365 days a year, and with good reason. So, you know, every city kind of has their number one sport, and, I mean, it's unquestionably football here. And I know Maddie's happy about it, and so am I. So, because Hopefully the Sabres can have a good season this year. Well, that's year, right. You get, a, you get a pairing of both, because that's when the town is the best. Right, and I'm not trying to dismiss the Sabres out of hand. I mean, they're very popular here, too. Um, but we know we know the the hold that the Bills have on this community, and we're happy about it. So, yeah, that's probably a long-winded way of answering your question, Jeremy, but congratulations. Uh, You are our winner this week, courtesy of Total Sports Enterprises. 
who will be presenting you with a premium mystery box of signed items. And if you want to chime back in and let us know, I'd love to know what he ends up getting. Yeah. Because uh, that's going to be pretty cool um, to see what you end up opening up. The big reveal. You see all these guys online Do a little now. Unboxing video. They're opening packs of cards or like all those guys that are into memorabilia guys and girls that are into sports memorabilia and they they do these do reveals you still have baseball cards oh yeah you were a baseball card oh, collector yeah, right I was a cubs big baseball card collector i don't i think my so my dad was a huge collector and i think he recently ended up going through the process to sell a lot of his cards um oh really okay and i think found out that some of them aren't worth what he thought they were going to be worth <laughs> And I maybe that number has gone down over yeah. time. I know during COVID it, it was like it went through the it roof went through again because people didn't roof. have anything else yeah. better to do. But I think it's back down because uh, he he had found a bunch of boxes and was telling us. And I have a huge binder of baseball cards somewhere in in my house that I grew up. And maybe maybe the binder was a part of the the cards that he also wanted to sell. But yeah, me and my brother I am, collected baseball cards I may like have crazy. To give, I may have to give him a call because I'm pretty confident I have a Ryan Sandberg rookie card Ooh. and some of my better cards. I have a 1955 and a 1956 Ernie Banks. So That's pretty good. May have to get your dad on the horn, see if yeah. he's interested in making a purchase. He's looking go. to move his stuff. <laughs> I might be convincing him to <laughs> buy something off of me. Because um, yeah, and they're in really good condition. I got them in hard plastic. They're not. That's that's the thing. So he went through um, the process, and I think he met with a guy at a store, and his were not in the exact condition that you needed them yeah, in. And I think some of his cards would have been worth like thousands more if they were in yeah. the plastic casing and all of that. My son, my son does. Uh, he's he got he's a collector as well, and he kind of explained to me. Like this, the whole grading system. Like he sent some of his stuff in to one of the grading services. I think it was PFA to get graded, and like they came back, and he's like, he was expecting to get like a nine or a ten on a grading, and it came back like an eight because the the card was printed on like the image was printed onto the card, and it was like a centimeter off center, (laughs) so it was like an eight and a half instead of a ten. Yeah, it's pretty and nuts. And he's just like, wow. So, yeah, they are pretty strict with that for sure. We have to move along now and get to sound bits as the Bills prepare to take on the Commanders. And that is presented by Tim Hortons. Let's hear from the players on their upcoming matchup with the Washington Commanders. You're going to get some good front, making sure we're getting the ball out and um, getting our guys in space and enforcing those interior D linemen to, to move around the field, tire them out just a little bit, and just making sure we're spreading the ball around fairly evenly and just being two-dimensional. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of former first-round picks along that front, and they have seven sacks last week and I think 14 quarterback hits or so. It's impressive. You know, we're going to have to do a good job of trying to make sure that we manage that as much as we can. Being down 21-3, to I believe it was, at halftime uh, against Denver, being able to come back and win the game. A bunch of guys that play, look like they play well together, you know, a resilient group of guys. And uh, like I said, we're going to have to play extremely well to win. We're excited about the opportunity. 
a good quarterback. I know uh, he's young, and but he gets out there and he sits in the pocket and he lets it go. So he's a good quarterback. We respect him. He slings the ball down the field. Uh, he's a tough dude. He stands in the pocket. You know, he scrambles around, makes plays for his team. So um, we got a lot of respect for him, and you know, we're gonna come out, do our best to, to limit that. You know, he's gonna throw the football, um, and he trusts his playmakers to be able to go up and make plays. He trusts his guys down the field with the speed that they have. So. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun game. First and foremost, we always got to beat the dudes in front of us. So I know as a D-line, before we can even talk about the quarterback, we got to focus on winning our one-on-ones. I mean, he's probably going to have to to work more mentally just based off the fact that he's a, he's a rookie, you know what I'm saying? So just being in his first year out there, I mean, we're going to do what we do and, uh, and play hard. When I say Washington defensive line, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Pass rush. Pass rush is good for them. Uh, Chase Young's back. Uh, Montez Sweat, their 2D tackles are big, strong guys in the middle that know what they're doing. So it's, uh, it's going to be a good challenge. Look forward to it. For us, it'll be just a, a tremendous battle, as it is every week. But, I mean, not only do these guys compete, but they have the skill set of, uh, you know, some they're, they're elite football players. And we're going to have to bring our A game to compete in a hostile environment come Sunday. Each week, we're going against the D-line as well. We have to be aware of that and know that we don't have all this time at the line of scrimmage now. We have to get open, uh, making it easier for 17. So we got to know that we're not only going against the guy in front of us, but we're going against the guys on the line of scrimmage. As good as they are in the back end, as far as like DBs, even across the league, when you face a team with a, a D-line like Washington, the commanders, when you're running your route isn't with the DB, it's with the D-line. You know what I'm saying? As quick as they get back there, is, you need to be running your route with some efficiency. You need to be clean. You need to be crispy because... They gonna get back there. It's gonna be some pressure applied. Luckily, I got a quarterback that can move around a little bit, maybe shake some guys off. But that race is always between you and the D line. So get off the ball. You need to get off the ball. You need to be running uh, with speed and tempo. So yeah, it's it's one of the best groups, if not the best group in the league. Um, you know, up front, they're all big, fast, powerful, explosive. They all uh, all can get after the quarterback. Uh, they'll occasionally run games, but they want to beat you one on one. They're more of an attack. Yes. Right? Yeah. You still give the everyone the respect. Yeah. Right. Like it's NFL. Like you're a great player. They're a great player. Eventually, you're, you're gonna lose the rep, and then you just gotta throw and move on to the next one. The the team that best executes on Sunday is gonna win the game. You just gotta focus on one game at a time. It's early in the season. We're gonna we're gonna try to get a, a good one this week, and keep this thing rolling. Sound Bits presented by Tim Hortons. Get the app, get the rewards. We take a break here, but when we return, it's lunch break time for Maddie and I. We'll explain with a little help from Snapdragon Apples. That's coming up next here on One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you. And it is time for us to take a lunch break presented by Snapdragon Apples, the official apple of the Buffalo Bills. And today, happy to report <laughs> that we have a healthy chicken salad featuring Snapdragon Apples. They're served on a slice. So you have like chicken salad for our radio listeners sitting on an apple slice. And you just pop that thing. It's like it's like a take off of. A cracker mm-hmm. kind of thing. I Something was going to say, find. if you're not a bread person like myself, yeah, apples are better. Yeah, and I got to tell you, so this is an interesting combo, and I'm going to be housing this in a very short period of time. But as we know, and as we've told you before, Snapdragon apples, if you're not familiar with them, epic sweet snappy flavor, monster crunch, incredible juiciness, 
and chicken salad with snapdragon apples. Great way to prep lunch for the week. So, yeah, like Maddie, who's not a bread person, she stays away from the carbs mostly. <laughs> I try to. She, this is an alternative. You, like some people have done cucumber slices in the past. Mm-hmm. This is an easy one to get your kids to eat because the apples are so sweet. So now you're eating healthy stuff on top of the apple slice, which is already healthy to begin with. If your kid doesn't like chicken salad, just get the Snapdragon apples and slice them up. They'll eat them in a second, I promise you. And it's the perfect time of year to go grab some Snapdragon apples because this is the time where apple season That's is right. booming. They're actually, Snapdragon apples are being picked now all across New York State, so they will be available soon at your local Wegmans. I don't know how they got their hands on these for us, um, but they are going to be in plentiful plentiful supply very soon. I did you do you go apple picking usually locally? I usually go every year. I usually try to get out with the misses once. We used to do it with the kids a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I just grab all the ones I have. We're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to call around to see which local apple orchards have Snapdragon apple. Yeah, have Snapdragon trees. Yeah, because um, you know you hear about the all all the other kinds of apples that have been around. Mm-hmm. Snapdragon's like new on the scene, so I got to find out who's got those. Because I'm not going to an apple orchard unless they have these now. Because They are good. It's one of my top apples now mm-hmm. after being introduced to them through the, sna- the good people at Snapdragon. So chicken salad. Are you a chicken salad person? Because I, I am. love chicken salad. I, I think I'm just about every salad. Egg salad, tuna salad, Same. chicken salad. Um, but I do see some red onion in this chicken salad. And I am a huge red onion fan. I will put red onion in just about everything. So um, Maddie and I will be diving into these in short order. And as we mentioned, this is our lunch break. It's presented by Snapdragon Apples, the official apple of the Buffalo Bills. If you want this exact recipe for how to put this chicken salad together and serve it with Snapdragon Apples, you can check our Twitter handle, at OneBillsLive. We have the full recipe there. If you want to cut and paste, download it, whatever you want to do, to make use of it yourself, and you want to get your kids eating healthy, easy way to do it here with Snapdragon apples. Maddie and I do have to take a break here because when we return, we are going to be joined by senior producer from NFL Films, Greg Cosell. We're going to dice up Washington Commander's tape with him, get some X's and O's from the master of the film room. Greg Cosell, when we return for hour number two here on a Friday on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two on a Friday. That can only mean one thing. Our weekly visit with senior producer from NFL Films, Greg Cosell, also co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. And his appearance every week is brought to you by Scott Lawnyard, an official commercial site work partner of the Buffalo Bills. Greg, 
We've got uh, an interesting first-year quarterback here that Bills fans are going to see in ah. Sam Howell. And uh, yes. I, th I think it was a guy that was a victim of having a down senior year at North Carolina after a, a fantastic junior year. And because he's only 6'2", he ends up being a fifth-round pick. But here he is, and he's playing well. Yeah, I actually think he's six feet, Brownie. So, um, but you're right. He he was viewed as a descending player based on his final year at North Carolina, certainly coming off the year prior. And given his height, there was a sense that, okay, descending player, six feet. Uh, what are the, the percentage chances based on sort of the historical record that he turns into a good quarterback? Now, he started three games. So we're not going to sit here and say he's on his way to being great. But I have to tell you, um, I watched the game, of course, last year, the final game of the season and the two games this year. And he's showing a lot of traits that that you really like for a quarterback. Um, number one, and I'm sure it's a function that he's always been shorter, is he's an over-the-top thrower. And you don't see many over-the-top throwers in the game anymore. Drew Brees was an over-the-top thrower, another six-foot quarterback. He's really tough in the pocket. He does not bail. He stands in, in muddy, noisy pockets with people around him and delivers the football. And he is willing to turn it loose and make difficult throws, which I always believe is an important trait in this league. And he has more than enough movement to be a, a quarterback that can make those secondary action plays. So he's shown a lot through uh, these first two games. Obviously, a big road win when they were down 21-3 to Denver in Denver. You don't see that very often coming back uh, against the Broncos like that on the road. Yeah, speaking of being down against the Broncos, what is it about Sam Howell, this Eric Bieniemy offense and the offensive weapons that the commanders have that they've been able to come back twice now in the fourth quarter to start the season? Yeah. Well, you know, I think Howell, uh, you know, probably a lot of that is just mentality. Um, but also you have to execute, Maddie. I mean, there's no there's no brilliant answer for that. Uh, you know, obviously against uh, Denver this past week, they were down big, and it would require him to make throws. And uh, I think they actually have a really good system as well in terms of what they do with their route concepts. There's a lot of ways that they overload zones. Um, you know, they, they do a really good job with their receiver splits. Because all these things, receiver splits really dictate a lot of, of uh, how coverage gets played. Um, so, you know, you could say, for instance, oh, it's cover three, but you can play cover three multiple ways. And receiver splits can dicta dictate how you play it. Uh, so, you know, I think they're really, really good with those kinds of things. And he's just made some really good throws. Look, I'm sure it's been a highlight all week. And I actually broke down the play in the matchup show this week, but his 30-yard touchdown to McLaurin, it was a really well-designed concept, but it was a big, big-time throw, and that was not an easy throw. And then the other part of the offensive equation, Greg, is obviously the addition of Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. I would say one of the more interesting things to come out of the first couple of weeks, um, we've noticed that the Bills have been susceptible to screen plays on defense through the first two weeks, and we see Biennemi using screens sometimes on down and distances that don't indicate a screen could be coming. I mean, he did some on second and five. Um, there were some interesting choices by him to use the screen game on a typical screen game down and distance. What do you make of that? 
Well, it's funny you say that because obviously Eric Bieniemy comes from Andy Reid. Andy Reid has always been a phenomenal screen coach. Um, you know, they had a great screen on second and 14 this past week to start the fourth quarter, and it was beautifully, beautifully designed the way they did it, and they pretty much got Gibson. Uh, that's who they threw the screen to. There was really no one out there other than the man defender who was covering Gibson, and it was an easy block for the offensive line. Um and, it, you know, so they've done a really nice job with how they get to screens, uh, because ultimately what you want is you don't want a number of defenders out there to, to be in front of the screen. You, you know, you want you want, in an ideal world, you'd like one defender to at most. But they do a really good job with that. You're right, Brownie. And uh, and that one really stood out to me because it was second and 14 and they threw the screen to Gibson and he had so much room to run. It turned into a 36 yard reception. Flipping to the commander's defense, we know their defensive line is one of the toughest in the NFL, yep. especially to start the season with the amount of pressure they can put on the quarterback using just four guys. They have a really talented four guys up front. Um, all all four of them put more than or registered more than five pressures in that game last week against the Broncos. So when you're dialing up a game plan to go against a defensive line that the commanders have, what's the recipe for success to be able to find some success against a really tough defensive line? Well, Maddie, I think that the, the Bills will try to do some of the things they did last week. I mean, they probably did it last week to get Josh Allen back on track, but you want to get quick game throws. You want to minimize the pass rush because if, if you get the ball out quick, the pass rush becomes a non-factor. Now, obviously, when it's third and long, then it's a different scenario. Um, it'll be interesting to see. The the commanders are a, a big uh, – they play a lot of what we call big nickel with three safeties. And because the Bills are now a, a much bigger 12 personnel team, although they played a little less of it this week than they did week one, but they, they're clearly going to continue to play it. They're probably going to get a lot of big nickel with three safeties on the field. Um, Curl can match up to tight ends. Uh, the, you know, we'll see how they feel about matching up to Kincaid and Knox. They're both good receiving tight ends. Um, but I think, you know, as we saw, and you guys were, are well aware of this, as we saw last week, there was really a dedicated plan to develop a timing rhythm passing game, which doesn't require much reading by the quarterback and get the ball out so that Josh could get into a rhythm and, and not feel, and, and the play calls by nature were not really asking him to drop back and, and if he didn't see it to move around. So I think they'll probably want to continue to do that. Flipping it back over to Washington's offense, Greg, we know that they have, you know, three speed-type weapons in Samuel, yep. Dodson, and McLaurin, and all three of them can threaten all three levels of the defense yes. in passing concepts. How has enemy deployed them? Has he purposely mixed it up? each of the first couple of weeks, sometimes series to series, or have those three players settled into roles that can be defined per se within the concept of the passing game? Uh, I mean, I think there's always a tendency here and there, Brownie, but I, but I think they've moved them around, which is, you know, another uh, tactic that uh, the enemy brought with him yeah. from Andy Reid. You know, McLaurin will lined up as the boundary X, um, but they move 
their receivers around. It's you, you can't just hone in and say, this is where he's going to be. Um, they do a lot of that. They play out of two tight ends as well. They're very diverse with their formations and their receiver distribution and location. Um, so no, it, it's, and it's always, I think early in the season, even though Bienemy may have a track record, and he certainly does with the Chiefs, now he's with a, with a new team with different personnel. So as you know, Brownie uh, and Matty, you probably know this as well. Um, during the season, you're kind of working through the early part of the games to see right. what you're going to get from teams because it's still early in the season. So you know, wh- while coaches often coach against coaches, sometimes when they're with a new team you have to wait and see how they feel about their personnel and how they're going to deploy them. Yeah, and in addition to those three wide receivers, they've also been able to use Brian Robinson as a good complement to those wide receivers, Um, especially in the second half of that game against the Broncos. He really started to show up. Um, How is Biennemi using the running back in in Brian Robinson, and, and why has it worked through two weeks, especially in this last week, registering some big numbers? Well, they want to run the ball, Maddie. They're not they're not one of those teams that wants to drop back 40 or 50 times. They do want to run the ball. Robinson is a physical competitive runner. He's not necessarily a big playback, but he's a sustaining back and they want him to be a foundation of what they do on offense. Um last week through the first half, he wasn't they weren't were not getting much done in the run game and the second half it started to click a little bit. Um, obviously, the score dictated that maybe they couldn't stay with the run as much as they would like. But in, in a normal game, they want to run the ball. I mean, I, my sense is uh, in a normal game, they would like Robinson to have 20 carries. Um, and he, and he's, he's the kind of back that can wear you down. And while he's not truly explosive, guys, he's a little he's got a little more juice than you might think. He's not just, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. So. You know, if this game is just played out normally without, you know, let's say the Bills getting ahead big, then I think you'll see Robinson be a significant factor in the run game. I know it's only been two games in his NFL career here, Greg, but what is your take on Emmanuel Forbes? You know, their top draft choice. He's starting. He has an interception on his resume already. Long, tall corner. It's a little bit of a slender build, but what what have you made of his play through the first two weeks? He's a really good player, Brownie. I, I did him, obviously, coming out of Mississippi State. He can play press. He can play off. Um, he's really quick to the ball. You know, he's obviously long-legged just by the nature of his build. But that doesn't really seem to impact his his quickness. And he's got some suddenness to him. You know, he's a really good corner. And he's shown throughout his career in college. And he had the pick last week. Obviously, it was a miscommunication. But he still made the pick. Um, that when he does get his hands on the ball, he catches the football. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting how they play. They're, you know, they're not necessarily a matchup defense. So, you know, um, I think you'll see Fuller at left corner, Forbes at right corner. That's in their nickel. Um, When they played um, uh, big nickel, St. Juiced was the right corner and Fuller was the left corner. Forbes did not play in the big nickel. Um, They had a third safety, Butler. Um, and he was, you know, and he also played in the dime package. So, um, you know, we'll see, you know, obviously Forbes is a really good player. I, I like him a lot, but he played right corner and fuller left corner when they were in uh, their nickel or dime. Staying with rookies, what have you seen out of Osiris Torrance and Dalton Kincaid through their first two games in the NFL? 
Yeah, I mean, Kincaid's going to be a big factor in, in this offense, and it'll probably increase as the season progresses. Um, you know, obviously, the first game was a little bit of a struggle. This game was a certain kind of game, the, the one they just won against the Raiders, to try to get back on track. So there wasn't much verticality in this game by design. Um, but he's capable of that, Kincaid. But uh, there was one play I really, really liked. I think it was in the second half where um, he hit him right in the middle of the field. I thought that was, you know, the kind of play that, you know, you ultimately want to see, um, you know, and I thought that, you know, that was just a really good example of, of, of sort of play calling more than anything else. Um, but um, uh, Torrance, I think he's, he's been a little up and down, but I think you can see what kind of player that he is. I think he'll be a good run def- a good run blocker. Um, I think that the uh, pass pro will come more as he plays. Um, but uh, I think he'll be a really good player. You know, just look, it takes time. It often takes time for offensive linemen. We did see, Greg, that there are reports out of Washington. Logan Thomas is out for this week. Yep. He's still in the concussion protocol. I know they have some other athletic players like Cole Turner at the tight end position. Do you think it, it changes their approach much, if at all? I don't think it changes it at all. Uh, Turner was a player they really liked. He's big, long, athletic, came out of Nevada. Um, He's almost more like a wide receiver in some respects, Brownie. So they'll play him and they'll play John Bates. So they do still have two tight ends that are a quality player. So they still can line up in 12 personnel. I don't think that that changes their approach or their philosophy of how they want to play at all. And then looking at the Bills' offense, one facet of their offense, the run game against the Raiders really kind of popped off. You saw James Cook have 123 rushing yards, and Damian Harris and Latavius Murray were successful on the carries that they got as well. You saw Josh Allen only had seven rushing yards. You said the Washington Commanders are a team that really wants to focus on running the ball, and we could see that a lot going forward. The Bills, with the quarterback that they have and Josh Allen, you know, not the not the focus of the offense because of the type of arm that Josh Allen has. But what did you see out of that run game and maybe how it could impact things moving forward if it continues to be as consistent as we thought as we saw it was against the Raiders? Yeah, I, I think to me, ultimately we'll see how they continue with the run game because what struck me was that nine of Cook's 17 runs and granted they were ahead and they started to pull away in the second half. So we don't know if this is what they want to continue to do or not, but nine of Cook's 17 runs came as an eye back with Allen under center. I'm very curious to see if they kind of move a little bit in that direction and try to develop more of a run game in a more conventional way with Josh under center. Now, one play they love is sort of that, that sprint draw. It's, it has, yeah. There's a lot of elements to this, this sprint draw that they run. Um, they may not even call it sprint draw uh, because there's different O-line splits. It's, it's, it's kind of a tough play to, to evaluate for me because it's, it, it looks different all the time, but it, 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 it's in the sprint draw family. Um, obviously that's out of the gun, but, I'm curious to see, guys, if they continue to run with Allen under center and have sort of a more conventional run game and feel like, hey, let's line up, let's try to be physical, and let's run the ball as opposed to the run game being an offshoot of the pass game. That would that would seem to make sense to me this week, Greg, especially. I mean, wouldn't you rather try to dictate to this defensive front, let your linemen fire off the ball, not all the time, but – enough right. to kind of keep them honest, number one, and at least give your offensive line 
the feeling that, hey, let's dictate to them instead of backing up in pass pro for three quarters of the game. And I think that's a great point, Brownie, because, you know, the bottom line is this is one of the best D lines in the league. You know, we haven't mentioned Jonathan Allen or Deron Payne, and we should because they are really, really good inside. And Torrance obviously is going to get one or both of them throughout the course of the game. And you don't want to ask this O-line to have to be in a reactive mode for a good part of the game. You want them to feel like they can come out and, and you know, use the football term to hit them in the mouth, as it were. And you you'd want to feel like you can see how that goes. Um, you know, so I agree with you. I, I think you might want to line up. Again, that doesn't mean you start every drive on first down and, and just hand it off. Right. But I think that needs to be an element of your offense. One last one for me. Um, we've covered a lot of the storylines of this game. What do you think this game comes down to between these two teams? Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it, it with the Bills, I think it always comes down to efficiency on offense because, you know, Josh Allen is, is, a, is one of the most intriguing quarterbacks in the league in that he's so, so knockout artist based that he can make big plays any given week. Obviously last week, though he did not do that. Obviously he had the, the 42, the 40 yarder to Davis, which was on third down in the fourth quarter. Um, he obviously made the incredible throw to Shakir for the touchdown, which was a great, great play, truly an unbelievable play. Um, he can make those plays every week. So the question is, the turnovers. And this is not a profound statement, but obviously we saw a game last week where there were no, no turnovers. And so it became kind of a methodical blowout. They never gave the ball back to the other team. They were able to sustain. One thing about this Bills offense these last number of years, as you guys know, which is, you know, everybody talks about quarter third down being the quarterbacks down. The Bills are great on third down. And as long as they don't turn it over, their offense tends to really be good. It can be good in, in multiple ways. It can be good methodically, and it can be good uh, with big plays. So that is really kind of what, what, to me, most Bills games come down to because of, you know, that because of the quarterback. Um, I guess I would be surprised defensively if they gave up a ton of points. But on the other hand, as, as Brownie pointed out, Washington has three really good receivers, really good receivers, and they're tough to cover. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned third down because that was going to be my next question, Greg. So fantastic segue here. Um, since 2022, the Bills' offense is the best third down conversion offense in the league. Yep. And since 2022, the Washington defense is the best third down defense <clears throat> in the league. What we know why the Bills are good in converting on third down. What is it about Washington that makes them so effective in defending on third down? Is because they often force long down and distance situations, or is it a little more complex than that? Yeah, I, I certainly don't know offhand, Brownie, you know, what their third and, and long, you know, how many they face. Right. But they certainly have a really strong pass rush. I think we can say that without, you know, uh, with no hesitancy. They can rush the quarterback, and they can rush the quarterback both outside and inside. So it's not as if they just have one pass rusher that you feel, okay, if we take care of him, we're good. I mean, those two guys inside are really, really good, Allen and Payne. And they can bull rush. They can drive interior alignment right back into the pocket. So there are going to be Josh Allen's second reaction movement plays in this game. 
So the question is, what are the results of those plays? Yeah. You know, that that to me becomes a critical point. You know, I thought that Josh Allen in this past game against the Raiders was very conscious of not, you know, of, of not making the kind of play that could really hurt you. Now, you know, it depends how this game plays out. You know, sometimes you need those plays. You need a big play depending on how a game goes. Um, so we'll see. But their pass rush is going to pose some problems at times in this game and how Josh and the overall offense react to that could be a determining factor in how this game plays out. All right, Greg, thanks as always. Enjoy the weekend and the oodles of football that will ensue, and we will catch up with you next week. All right, guys, appreciate it. Thanks. All right, that's Greg Cosell, senior producer from NFL Films, co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show, joining us. And brought to you, as always, by Scott Lawnyard, an official commercial site work partner of the Buffalo Bills. Third down is a money down every week, mm-hmm. Maddie, as we know. But this week, it, it could be the determining factor, not only because of what both sides bring to the table, but because of the decision-making involved when chaos ensues, particularly for Josh, who's going to have the ball in his hand. Yeah, it was a good point by Greg there of, hey – at times, this defensive line is going to win against the Bills, and that may force the offense and Josh into a down-and-distance situation where maybe you do have to take a shot and you do put the offense maybe a little bit more in harm's way because you're you're throwing the ball into tighter windows or you need that you need, you need that completion of, of 20, 25 yards. So that should be interesting to see how the defense kind of dictates what the offense has to do down the stretch, third down and beyond. And the only way you stay out of that predicament in allowing the defense to dictate to you is staying out of those long down and distance Mm -hmm. situations. If you can stay on schedule and be efficient, then you can prevent or at least thwart that defensive line from having a bigger impact on the game. Because if you're in third and two, third and three, third and four all day, life's a lot easier. Yeah. Third and eight, third and nine, now you're going to have to really block it up with those four guys coming at you. So that, that to me, is a pivotal part of this game. How does third down look in terms of down and distance for the Bills' offense? If they can spend most of the day third and five or better, shorter, good, because that's what they did last week. Mm-hmm. They had 13 third downs. Only five of them were more than third and five. And they converted two of those anyway. I don't know if they're going to have that rate of success this week against this front. But if eight of your 13 third downs again this week can be third and five or less, I I think the advantage kind of tips towards the Bills a little bit because there's more for Ken Dorsey that he can call. The ball can get out of Josh's hand faster because he doesn't have to wait for downfield routes to develop as long because there's less yards to gain that that really tips the balance in favor of the Bills the number 1 third down in football number 1 third down team in football on offense since last season against the number 1 third down defense in football since last season it's really going to be compelling to see how that down plays out specifically when buffalo has the ball I know we'll see different defenses down the road, and I know every opponent is different, but based on the game plan that they had against the Raiders last week and and how we saw Josh Allen get the ball out quick and find open receivers really quick, sometimes a lot of times being being his first option, his first place that he looked at, do you think we could see a lot more of this out of Josh and the offense going forward? This type of approach? Yes. Yes, because it is a proven 
winning model in this league. Um, Mahomes did it, won a Super Bowl last year. Burrow did it, you know, and got to the AFC title game playing that way. Short, efficient passing game. And Tom Brady, oh, by the way, won seven Super Bowls doing that. So it's a proven winning model in this league. I was telling Steve the other day, you could go all the way back to the Niners Super Bowl teams with Bill Walsh and the old West Coast offense. It was a horizontal, timing-based passing game that got the ball out of Joe Montana or Steve Young's hand quick, and it was very, very difficult to stop. Now, there were, there were methods and means that defensive coordinators used to neutralize it over time, but right now you've got so many defenses terrified of getting beat over the top, they're going to continue to play this way and force you to be efficient and consistent. They're betting on you over the course of 12 plays making a mistake rather than only giving you four plays and running the risk of getting beat over the top for a touchdown. They would much rather force you to run 12 plays to get points than four or five and give up a big play for a score. So they're going to continue to see this. And with this defensive front, I am all for them mm -hmm. using exactly what they did that right. last week, yeah. this week, just with maybe some different bells and whistles attached. So it doesn't look exactly the same as it does on film for all those Washington defenders watching it this week. Yeah, and it looked so good. I mean, if you can put a couple drives together like that in the beginning of the game and get some confidence, not just Josh, but the offensive line get some confidence going against that defensive line, I think that could really help the team going into the second, third, and fourth quarter because, of course, you're going to have confidence going into the game, but going up against a defensive line like that, I think putting together – um, you know, a couple successful drives right away could really help put the yeah. offense on the right foot. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of more under center. Uh, my broadcast partner, Eric Wood, I'll give him the credit. He's been <laughs> asking for that since last season. And we saw more of it last week. We saw some of it, and we wanted more of it last week. And I think it, I think it helps the psyche of Buffalo's offensive line mm -hmm. because now they can fire off the ball. And as I was telling Greg, they can dictate to the opponent, hey, we're coming at you. Right. We're not backing up and hoping we can hold you off. Mm -hmm. Now we're coming at you. And the other thing that it does, I think it helps your play action game, obviously. Play action is always more effective from under center than from the shotgun. And then the other thing, too, is I think it makes Josh – a more dangerous quarterback on bootlegs because now he's dropping back. He could hand it off. And even if he fakes a handoff, he could take off the other way on a bootleg. And now people are biting on the run and he's got a, a better angle and more space to bootleg out and run that way. So there's just a multitude of reasons, not only because of the matchup, but because of what it does for Buffalo's offense to get Josh under center, a good portion of the time we have to take a break here, but when we return, it's time for Collision Course, and Maddie and I will be talking about those three uber-talented receivers that Washington will be putting on the field this weekend against the Bills next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. back to One Bills Live here on a Friday. Chris Brown, Maddie Glad with you. And the good news is Buffalo's injury report is out. Everyone is fit to play. No one's Ooh. even listed as questionable. Dawson Knox got back on the field today. He is good to go for Sunday. That is huge news. Obviously, Spencer Brown popped up on the injury report yesterday with a shoulder. He's good to go. 
and Micah Hyde and Leonard Floyd. Mm -hmm. uh, both got back to practice yesterday on a limited basis, fully practiced today. They, too, are good for Sunday's game. The same cannot be said for the Washington Commanders. Their tight end, Logan Thomas, is out, still in concussion protocol, and questionable for Sunday. Their leading tackler, safety Cameron Curl, he is out with an illness right now, or he's questionable, sorry. He's questionable with an illness, didn't practice today. And then Curtis Samuel, one of their top three receivers that we're going to be talking about in a second, he's questionable as well. And he's got a hip and an illness, so he missed practice today. So two questionable players there and um, pretty important players, as we'll get to in a second, because right now it's time for Collision Course. It sounds like an action movie. Um, <laughs> and Collision Course is brought to you by Gabe's Collision. Gabe's Collision is the official auto collision repair center of the Buffalo Bills. Get back in the game with Gabe's Collision. And we chose to look at these three receiving talents for the commanders, Maddie. And it's a heck of a trio. I would argue it's probably the, the fastest group they're going to see this side of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, Terry McLaurin leads the bunch with 85 receiving yards so far and one receiving touchdown. Um, but he's been able to connect on some deep balls with, with Sam Howell already this season. And then you've got Jahan Dotson in his second year in the NFL who's putting together a productive second year, looks like, to start um, heading into his third week. And then Curtis Samuel as well. I know we just talked about him being on that injury report. Um, but those are three guys that you're going to have to look out for. I think um, – we focused a lot about the defensive line of the commanders and the Bills' offensive line and Josh being able to get the ball out. Um, but I think another facet and storyline of this game is going to be our defensive backs going up against three talented receivers. It's not like they just have that one guy in Terry McLaurin. No, they have two other guys who have been involved in, in the game plan already to start the season. And you've got a quarterback who's been able to find all three of those guys. Um, so I think our defensive backs will have their hands full uh, shutting those three down. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Howell be aggressive, throwing the ball into tight windows. That's due in part to his arm strength, which I think is still underrated. But the other reason he's so confident is he's got a first-round pick in Dotson, a second-round pick in Samuel, and a third-round pick in McLaurin, who plays like a first-round pick, to throw to every week. That would make anybody confident that has any measure of arm strength at the NFL level, and they're making plays for him. So... Without Logan Thomas, who's out and in the concussion protocol for them, their tight end, they're probably going to be leaning on these three guys all the more. Curtis Samuel, I mean, he's questionable, but I would expect he's mm -hmm. going to play. The guy's going to eat some chicken soup and be good to go on <laughs> Sunday. And even if he's not, their fourth receiver is Deami Brown, who Sam Howell played with in college for three years at North Carolina. So even if Samuel can't play, they got Brown waiting in the wings to step in if necessary. So... This receiving core will be the stiffest test for the Bills to this point and may serve, quite frankly, as good prep for the speed demons they got down in Miami in Waddle and Hill because these guys can fly, maybe not to the same level, you know, that the Cheetah and Waddle can, but they are going to put some pressure on these DBs. And when you have receivers like this who can get up on the toes of the defensive back so quickly – it forces the defensive back to make a decision. And that decision is, 
is he going to break this route off and I got to stick my foot in the ground to stay with him? Or do I have to flip my hips because if I don't, he's going to blow my doors off and be behind me for a 60-yard touchdown? That's the kind of pressure that receivers with this kind of speed can put on a defensive back. And it's it's not easy when you're facing those guys, yeah. for sure. And that's where your safeties come into play, too. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde could be tasked with doing a lot if you're talking about the speed of receiver who can get by a cornerback. And when you look at our defense uh, stats, looking at how they have done against quarterbacks and against wide receivers so far, they've allowed two passing touchdowns, good for ninth best in the NFL. They've been allowing a 65.2% completion percentage. That's about middle of the pack in the NFL. They've had those three interceptions. I know Matt Milano has two of those, so not looking at the corners specifically or the safety specifically, um, but we'll see if they're up to the test. We've got some great corners and, and some great safeties on this team, so I would expect the bunch would do a good job against these receivers. So that is Collision Course, brought to you by Gabe's Collision, the official auto collision repair center of the Buffalo Bills. Get back in the game. We pivot from collision course to tailgate Friday. And I got to say, I was expecting a few more submissions here. Look, I know we're on the road, but my goodness. Uh, tailgate Friday presented by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York, the official health care plan of the Buffalo Bills. And we usually have a handful of recipe ideas. And I look, I love to hear these. So anybody wants to bring anything to the table, just send it to us at One Bills Live. But we do have this one submission from Jack, uh, who is a weekly contributor, and I appreciate it because his recipes are pretty interesting and sometimes very unique. Heading to Landover today. So we're keeping it simple this week. Going to grab subs from a certain large local grocery chain that just happens to have a location near FedEx Field. Thinking turkey, roast beef, Salami, capicola, and ham. Can't forget that sub oil and ranch Doritos. Do you have a particular chip that you, well, you don't really eat chips. No, I'll I'll eat chips. They're baked chips. Yeah, no, I dabble in those chips sometimes. I like Cheetos. I like Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Really? Yeah, I can tear through a bag of those. I'm a salt and vinegar guy on the chip end of the spectrum. Um, I have to give my wife credit on that. She kind of introduced me to the salt and vinegar chip a long time ago, and they are exceptional and really good uh, as a compliment to a sub. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the thing. When you're going on the road and you're going to tailgate at a visiting stadium, you don't really have the lay of the land the same way that you do when you're at home. And naturally, you know, could you put a bunch of meat in a cooler and f- – keep it frozen, like driving down to Landover, sure. It sounds like a pain in the butt. It, it's a little bit of a heavy lift, right? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, if you are dyed-in-the-wool tailgate griller, okay, maybe you're bringing your hibachi on the road, you know, to a road game if you're driving. And there will be Bills fans that make this drive. I know that. Um, but sometimes it's just easier to just play it, play it straight, Make it easy on yourself. Don't don't have a headache of running into all kinds of problems. Pl- not to mention the fact, with rain in the forecast, yeah. grilling becomes infinitely more difficult. Where you're better off probably popping the hatchback on your SUV, sitting in the back, and just staying dry and chowing down, <laughs> chowing down on some subs 
or a cold sandwich of some kind. Um, I mean, you can always get a hot sub, I, I guess, too. But I wonder if they make chicken finger subs down in hmm. the D.C. area. Maybe That's a good not. question. You can probably get a steak down there or, you know, steak and cheese, something like that, because you're not too far from Philly. But, yeah, I would, I would be... I would probably go the way Jack is going. I'm not going to make my life too difficult in a situation like that. Um, we do have one more submission coming in here, Maddie. On the way. Hashtag Bill's Mafia. Hashtag Poncho's Army. Oh, they got a photo and everything. Look at this. He's got the show on in the wow. back seat. Unbelievable. Wow. Well done there, Dan Freddy. He says, wifey is driving right now. I can get used to traveling like this. It's a mini <laughs> living room. I got snacks, drinks, space, pillows, and a blankie. All right. Uh, One Bills Live is on the iPad. Stefan digs via YouTube on my car TV, and the phone is free to tweet. Yeah, you, that's a heck of a setup there. Living the best life. Heck of a setup. I like it. Um, snacks and drinks. Yeah, I wonder what he's going to be tailgating with. Splitting the drive. That's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Although, I got to tell you, Manny, when I'm on a long road trip, I'd rather be driving because otherwise I get bored too easily. How do you do you split up the driving or what do you if it's long? We'll split up the drive. But if it's just a couple hours, I'm usually sitting in the passenger side. Yeah, just hanging out. Yep. On my phone doing whatever. I I prefer to do the driving because then I'm paying attention and I'm not bored out of my gourd, of course. I should probably talk a little bit more in the car so my wife isn't as bored as she is when we're in the car sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, just get the playlist going and drive, drive, drive. I don't have a problem doing that. Um, all right. So that's, those are some good submissions, and we appreciate Freddie mm-hmm. uh, letting us know he's driving on down to Landover, Maryland. So that is Tailgate Friday, presented by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York. Break time for us here We've got one more segment to go, and it includes our vision to victory. We'll tell you what that is next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Time for Vision to Victory, presented by Atwal Eye Care, the official eye care provider of the Buffalo Bills. Maddie, what is your vision to a Bills victory Sunday? Okay, my vision is that there's going to be rain in the forecast. (laughs) So I'm thinking about what the Bills need to do if it's going to be raining. We saw James Cook, Damian Harris, and Latavius Murray have a great game against the Raiders. James Cook went over 100 rushing yards on the ground. Harris and Murray found the end zone on some rushing touchdowns. I think we're going to need to see some more of that if we're dealing with wet conditions. So you're thinking of a muck-it-up type game potentially. And you're going to need your mutters mm-hmm. to come through for you, mm-hmm. and that would be Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. I like that. I'm a proponent of the high-efficiency model continuing on the offensive side of the ball. And if the conditions are as they appear they could be, I think that a short passing game would be smart yep. as well to pair with that rushing attack. So I am all for the high-efficiency model continuing for Buffalo's offense. I think that will propel them 
to a valuable Week 3 victory. Maddie, what is the latest on the weather? You were just checking during the break. It's not promising. Guys, we were talking about the storm being a cyclone originally. Well, Warren Sharp just tweeted, breaking its official, we have a tropical storm, Ophelia, and it looks like it's hitting the D.C. Baltimore area during the Commanders and Ravens games per the National Hurricane Center's 2 o'clock model looking at the track of the storm. So if you go on Twitter, you can see this model, and it looks like it's moving up the coast and it's going to be in Commander's Territory in that D.C. Baltimore region area for kickoff. Oh. I mean, it's going to be there before kickoff. Yeah, we were talking I mean, about the weather, but it's going to—it's still going to continue on throughout this game. Yeah, they said it originally was supposed to rain all day Saturday, and the hope was that it would be moving north up the coast by kickoff on Sunday. That does not look to be the case. The storm has grown in size, so it's covering more area, and so it will not be out of the area by kickoff and you're saying it they're saying it's going to be there like in the thick of it at two o'clock like that's late second quarter yeah Oof. so looks like a might be in it for the whole game it's a poncho day hopefully uh freddie and wandering jack uh have their ponchos with them for this one if they're going down to that game which they said they were Get ready, so guys good luck guys get the poncho or if you don't have one buy one because you're going to need it along with uh what are the <laughs> With your Wellington boots. You need your rubber boots out there. <laughs> um, thank God they fixed the drainage system there two years ago. Because if they didn't, there would unquestionably be standing water. I'm trying to remember the highlights of the game I watched like three years ago. It was Washington, another team. And half the players looked like they were Run, riding slip and slides. Puddles. No, they were on slip and slides. Oh, like gosh. diving for a ball, they would slide like 15 yards. Because it was like a slip and slide. It was unbelievable. So the Bears 49ers was the game. There you go. Um, Because the Bears field used to be bad, too, but I guess it's a little bit better now, too. Um, Washington's drainage system is a lot better, so that's good. Hopefully the conditions hold up. Maddie, thanks for helping us these last couple of days with Steve out of commission. We appreciate it. Um, We'll be back on Monday Mm -hmm. at noon to talk about this one. We'll see you then.